second week of our series on Luke chapter 15. The series is titled Lost and Found. Is there anybody in here that keeps up with the news, with current events of anything that's going on? Anybody? Somebody, right? So I'm not usually a person that keeps up with the news because it's usually depressing. For the last couple of weeks, it's been kind of hard to not hear about some different things that are going on in our country. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had the explicitly, you know, satanic um, performance at the Grammys that everybody was talking about. And then we had Chinese spy balloons that were floating across our country. You know, they said there's UFOs, and there's been like four UFO sightings in the last two weeks. Like, it's crazy. And now, and now, you know, we're just saying that we have to be worried about the water that we're drinking and the air that we're breathing because we've got this train that's derailed up in northern Ohio. And I've heard there's been semis that have been flipping over that are full of gas. And, you know, we, if we were to watch the news, a lot of times we would walk away being depressed at the state that our country is in. Our country is an absolute mess. But for those of you that have been keeping up with the current events that are going on, for the last two weeks, there's been something that's been a glimpse of hope that's been going on. The last two weeks in Wilmore, Kentucky, there's been what they're calling the Asbury Revival. And it's been two weeks straight now at this small college, uh, at Asbury College, where there's been nonstop worship that's been going on. There's been nonstop repentance, people turning to God, people rededicating their life to Christ. And I've seen people that have flown all the way from Florida up here to Kentucky. Piano. I saw somebody that came from South Dakota. People are flocking to this college campus to see this movement of God that is going on. And I've even heard that it's spilled over to other colleges. You know, praise God. You know, I've heard that Cedarville has, has seen the movement of God there in the last couple of days. And Lee College has seen the movement of God. And, you know, this is, you know, it's a revival that's going on right now. And the crazy part about it is that this revival is being led by Gen Z. You know, the, the kids that we look at and we say, you know, they're so hopeless and far from God. And yet now we see this revival going on in our country that started at, at with them in college. 20 students that stayed after and now it's turned to thousands and thousands of people that are flocking there. In this revival, we see broken people who are desperate for God. See, people that are surrendered to the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. You know, what is revival? You know, all the time we have revival meetings, we pray for revival, but what exactly are we praying and hoping for? Let me give you my definition of what I believe revival is. I believe that revival is a renewed sense of dependency and life. That comes from repentance and surrender. Revival is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, in the life of the church. You know, with all the bad things that are going on in our world, as I watch this awakening unfold, one, I'm encouraged. But then two, I am reminded of the desperate need for revival in our churches today. Joining me in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be starting in verse 11. As we look at the last story, Jesus tells the parable 
of salvation. Before we get started, I just want to say a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for the honor and the privilege that you've given me, Lord, just to stand up here and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to the text. I pray that you would give me clarity as I speak. I pray, I pray Lord, the Holy Spirit would move throughout here and convict hearts and minds, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we look at this text, that, that our hearts would be revived, Lord, that we would be renewed and have a, a sense of urgency for the things of you, Lord. I love you. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. Luke 15, verse 11. So for those of you that may have been here in November, I actually preached from this text a few months ago. And in, in studying for this week, I was a little hesitant about whether or not I really wanted to go back to this. But I know that, you know, obviously you guys just heard from this. It actually even... When I had first planned out this series of Lost and Found in Luke 15, I was really excited for us to walk through Luke 15 and see the compassion and the embrace and the love of God about the whole entire chapter. But that's the one thing that kind of hung me up for a little while. I was like, man, I already preached from, you know, the main passage in it. Um, you know, is it really going to be beneficial to the people? And even just you struggling through that this week, I believe, yes, that this text is still going to be beneficial to us here today. So for those of you that may have been here back in November when I preached from this text, I, I, I attacked this text from the angle of the Father. I believe the title of the message was The Heart of God. So we looked at the Father's response to the younger son in this text primarily. We looked at the passion of the Father, the love of the Father, the embrace of the Father. is the way that we looked at it. So today, if you look at this text, I actually want to look at it the traditional way that you often hear it preached, which is through the view of the younger son. And as we look at this text today, I want us to see, through the life of the younger son, the need for revival and the means for revival. We're going to see first the need for revival, and then we will see the, need, the means for revival. Look at me first at verse 11. I'm going to read verse 11 through 16. The Bible says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in what? And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. As we approach this text this morning, remember that as we look at Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 is a response by Jesus to the accusations. <coughs> of the Pharisees, the accusation that Jesus was embracing and eating with sinners. So as we look at this text, Jesus is primarily speaking to these two groups of people. He's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking to the sinners. Through this text, Jesus is hoping that the Pharisees will see how a rebellious and wicked son is still embraced and loved by the Father. That's all the goal that Jesus wants the Pharisees to see through this text. But at the same time that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, there's also sinners that are sitting in front of 
Furthermore, when I say sinners, I'm not talking about people that are just a little white liar. I'm talking about the worst of the worst. I'm talking about people that are just downright, just, or just down, downright evil. And these sinners are sitting there, and no doubt, as Jesus tells this story, Jesus is also hoping to, to grasp their attention. That they will see the rebellion and the wickedness of his son and say, somebody as bad as me still has a father that loves him. Or maybe that they would say, somebody that's even worse than I am, somebody that's done far more bad than I have, can still be embraced and loved by God. I would assume for most of us in here today, this is a story that is familiar to all of us. For those of us that grew up in church, you're told this story from a young child. This is the story of the prodigal son, is what it is often called. It's a story that people know even outside of Christianity. It's perhaps one of Jesus' most famous and well-known stories. It's the story of a young son who wants to be independent of all rules. A young son who wants to be free to do as he pleases. He wants to chase after the desires of his own heart without anyone telling him that what he was doing was wrong. And he goes to his father and demands his inheritance. Basically tell the father, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to get them all under you. Take some money and runs away. Plus, he wants to get as far away as possible from this supposed oppressor that he has in his father. He goes to the far country. He doesn't just go outside in the town, but he goes as far away as possible from his father. One can imagine that he probably didn't like the rules and the the, um, the regulations that the father might have had for him. He might have felt like he could have done better on his own. He felt like the father was holding him back from fulfilling you know, his true heart's desire. As we look at the text in you think about this is a wealthy farmer who now has given one third of his estate to his son. So this is a son who has a lot of money. So as we read through the text, we can imagine today's lifestyle that this younger son was living in the poor country. I'm sure it was full of drugs, full of fornication, full of anything that you could imagine a rich person with no morals would indulge in. This was a journey of self-pleasure on the son's behalf. And for those of us that know the story of how he got all his money and when he lived high and had the time of his life, we also know that it didn't last forever. We know how the story ends. We know that the pleasure that the younger son chases after is temporary, that he burns through every dollar in his pocket, that he loses every friend that he has, and that ultimately, in chasing self-pleasure, and chasing desires of his own heart, he ends up lonely and desolate. The desires of his heart, the sin, the wickedness of his life, and the dependency on self ultimately led his younger son from the father's house, the prestige of the father's house. I'm sure sitting up in a mansion with everything he could have ever wanted to the pig's pen. Hoping to eat the sloth that the pigs were eating. You know, despite what Hollywood may try to sell to you, despite what the world may tell you, despite maybe what even your friends will try to tell you, 
A sinful life is a riches to rags story. But before we begin to cast judgment on this younger son and say, what a fool. Realize that just as Jesus was speaking to the sinners in this story, he's speaking to any one of us here today who has fallen into the same cycle of leaving a loving father and wasting our life in sin. This is what living apart from Christ looks like from the vantage point of heaven. Listen, God the Father watches his rich but rebellious children squander his love and his riches as they run from him to the far country of sin. Warren Wiersbe talks about how the far country is not necessarily a distant place to which we have to travel, which we have to travel. But the far country exists, first of all, in all of our hearts. The younger son dreamed of enjoying his freedom away from home, away from his father, away from his older brother. As we looked at stories the last few weeks, that the sheep was lost through foolishness and the coin was lost because of carelessness. And I believe we can say that the younger son was lost because of willfulness. He wanted to have life his own way, so he rebelled against the father and broke his heart. You know, sinners want all the goodness of God's creation. We want all the enjoyment of God's blessing, but they don't want God himself. Listen, this is, this is, this is the, the story of the son. But the son wanted the prestige, he wanted the wealth, he wanted the things that the father could offer him, but he didn't want the father. They don't understand the fatherhood that God offers. They refuse to return the love that God gives to them, and rather, they rather chase after every desire of the flesh. You know, there are scores of people that I'm sure we all know, and many of them, sadly, in our churches today, who have a loving father. Talking about people that hear the gospel, that hear scripture proclaimed to them week in and week out, yet continue to willfully live a life of sin. Willfully live just as the prodigal did, away from the father, away from his love, living life to their own Desires. Let's talk about people that have been rescued from death. People that have been brought out of darkness, and yet they run right back to it. Just like the younger son, they feel that there's something outside of the father's house that's going to bring more joy. There's something outside of the father's house that's going to bring me more pleasure. People who want the things that the father offers, but yet we don't want the father himself. Can I tell you today that you cannot... You cannot experience the life-saving power of the gospel and not experience the life-changing power of the gospel. The sad part is that's exactly what many of us want. Many of us want a God that will change our eternity but won't change our life. Can I tell you that that is a lie straight from the devil. It's a false version of Christianity that says that you can believe in God and live life however you want to. We just want a God that's going to save us 
from the pits of hell over there. <laughs> continue to live life here. We need to live life exactly as we please. We need to do whatever we want. We're not concerned about the thing that the Father has from us. As long as you save me from hell, God, that's all I want from you. Just like this younger prodigal son, we just want to take from the Father. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Not only that, but in Ephesians 4, 22, the Bible says, To put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God. Listen, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're new. You're not just a better version of what you were. No, you're totally new. And when we are a new creation, we need to put off the things of the past. We need to put off the desires that we maybe once longed for, the, the pleasures that we think the world may offer. And we need to depend and look to and seek God. Listen to me, church. Take heed of the story of this younger son. Listen to it. Look at it. Learn from it. Don't fall into the trap of sin and pleasure. Don't chase after your heart's desire. You know, look what the world tells us. The world tells us to follow your heart. Hey, God tells us that our heart is deceitful, that our heart is wicked. Why would you follow something deceitful and wicked? Rather than chasing after the desires of your heart, set your affections on the things above. There's a battle that's going on every single day, and it takes place right inside of us. There's a battle, in this battle, we have the things of God that are fighting for your heart. We have God's affections fighting for your heart. We have the things that the world offers that are also fighting for your heart. You know, I know it's easy to say, you know, just, you know, be holy, don't do those sinful things. I know it's easy to say that, but it's much harder to practice out, because I know the allure of sin. I know that we don't purposefully, hopefully, sin against God in order to break his heart. We don't do it on purpose. But we do it because that sin that we do feels good. We do it because we sin that sin that we do feeds our flesh. It feeds into the pleasures and desires that we might have temporarily. <laughs> Listen, anybody that tells you that sin isn't fun, they never get it right. You know, sin is fun. But listen, it's pleasure, it's temporary. Look at the story of this son. He had time of his life, but it was temporary. Sin will never satisfy. Sin will always lead to longing for more. Sin will always lead to the pig's pen. In Hebrews 11, 25, the Bible tells us that the pleasures of sin pass. And then in James 1, 15, the Bible tells us that sin ultimately leads to death. You know, there's anybody in here today that is an alcoholic, and alcoholism has devoured and consumed your life. I guarantee that was not your plan. I guarantee that it started with one drink and you said it can't be that bad. Everybody does this. 
And then all of a sudden, one day, the thing that you were grabbing onto for fun has now grabbed a hold of you. It ain't fun no more. If you're divorced because of infidelity or if you've ever been cheated on, I don't think your spouse woke up one morning and said, you know what? Sounds like a good idea today. Custody battle for my kids. No, it started with one flirt. One innocent flirt. And rather than fleeing the sin of lust, you continue to feed into it. And it was one step after the other until ultimately you ruin your marriage. Nobody ever wakes up and says, you know what? I'm going to ruin my life today. No, it's one step at a time. As you continue to think, I've got this. And so all of a sudden, it's got you. Listen, the nature of human desire is to want more and to want it now. The things of this world can never fully satisfy. All they can do is give you promises that they will over and over and over again break. Listen, when your life is a journey of self-discovery like this prodigal son's was, when it's a journey of self-discovery bathed in self-indulgence, you will always end up with a self-centered world that is full of regret, pain, and disappointments. You know, I know that there's people in this room that have been down this path before. I've been down this path before. No doubt, sadly, there's some people in this room that will one day go down this path. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people in this room who are on this path right now. A path of ruin. A path that's far from home, that's full of heartache and pain. A path that leads far away from the love and embrace and care and protection of God the Father. You know, sin leads to emptiness and suffering. Yeah. And as I was Studying for this message, I actually was considering splitting this into two separate messages. One, the path to ruin, verses 11 through 16, and the other, the path to restoration, verses 17 through 24. But as I was studying, something just didn't sit right with me. To give you all this bad news, to tell you about how devastating our sin is in our life, to remind us that how easy it is for us to become the prodigal and not give you some hope on the other side of it. Because the good news is that there is grace on the other side of the rebellion. Just as there's a path that leads to ruin, there is a path that leads to renewal, and that leads to restoration, and that leads to revival. Listen, when you're lost and drowning in your sin, as we'll see in the, as we'll see in the rest of this text, what you've got to do is learn to preach to yourself that there's something far greater than the world can ever offer you. There's something far greater that the pleasures that are temporary could bring. That there's a father that loves and cares for you. Amen. Listen, I want to declare to you today that if we want revival in our country, if we want revival in our state, our community, in our churches, there first has to be revival in ourselves. So it's got to start with you. 
In verses 11 through 16, we saw the need for revival. We saw that because of the sin of our life, that we need the grace of God to rescue us. We saw the, the pleasures and the, the, the lie that Satan gives us that, that, that this is going to be so fun. We saw where ultimately it leads you to, to the pit. And now in verses 17 through, 17 through 24, let's look together at the means for revival. In verse 17, the Bible says, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, listen, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring him the fat calf, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. Listen, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Look with me at verse 17. As this younger son sat in the pig's head, lonely by himself, at the lowest of lows, the Bible says he came. Himself. For those of you that were here last week, hopefully you remember how we talked about when we look at these three stories that Jesus tells, the story of the lost sheep, sort of lost lost woman, sort of lost son, how they all really weave together and show us the beauty of the Trinity. So as we look at this verse that says he came to himself, I want to remind you and, and, and tell you that this younger son didn't come to himself because he was just so smart. You know, a lot of people said, oh, that, that's right. No, because if he was smart, he would never left the father's house in the first place. Listen, the reason this younger son came to himself is because there was a Holy Spirit awakening of the son's sin. Because the Holy Spirit showed him the, 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 the depths of his sin. The Holy Spirit showed him. The Holy Spirit Of God. 
Listen, like Jesus said, don't kick against the gold, the goats. Listen, there's conviction in your life. If there's, if there's, a, if there's if God is showing you something that, that there's sin in your life, listen to him and then confess it. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, drop down on your knees. Confess your sins and cry out to God for forgiveness and mercy. Listen, if you look at verses... See, if you look at the end of verse 18, you see the confession of this younger son. After the Holy Spirit convicts him of his sin, and he says, the Spirit shows him, listen, it's better. The servants of your father's house are treated better than you are in this foreign country. He then says, he says, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of your higher servants. The thing I love about this son's confession is that this son's confession doesn't have any conditions. This son's confession doesn't have any qualifications. Listen, this son makes no excuses. He doesn't say, God or, or Father, you know, I'm sorry that I ran away, but my older brother was getting on my nerves. Father, I'm sorry that I ran away, but the rules there were just too, too, too straight for me. He didn't make excuses for what he had done. No, he acknowledged that he had sinned. Period. You know, I'm worried about the state of our church and looking up the culture. You know, just because the culture <coughs> says that something is okay does not mean that it's okay for God. Listen, just because we live in a hookup culture that wants to be sex positive, does not mean that fornication and adultery are okay, no matter what anybody tells you. Just because we live in a culture where now you have trap kings and family on your phone, doesn't mean that you waste all of your living gambling. Just because we have a culture where Alcohol is legal. Does not mean you can get blackout drunk every single weekend. Listen, we may not worship idol gods. We may not worship pagan gods, but we do worship money. We worship prestige, and ultimately, I feel like a lot of us worship pleasure. And what we've got to do is stop making excuses for our sin. Don't try to rationalize. Don't try to justify it with God why what you're doing is okay. Because you've got to justify something that probably means that you already know that it's not okay. Listen, be like the son. Don't make any excuses. Don't, don't have any conditions. Don't say, Father, I'll come back if you do this. Father, you know, I'll come back. I want the room that's bigger. No, come back unconditionally and broken. If you want revival in your life, if you want to be renewed and closer to God than you've ever been, acknowledge and confess your sins before only God. Church hearts, acknowledge and confess. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that means you don't have to be worried. You don't have to say, well, you know, God, this is so bad. I just don't know that you're going to forgive me. No, because the Bible says that he will forgive
in Scripture, God dwells in two places. In Scripture, the first place we see God dwell is in the high and holy places. And then the second place that we see God dwell is with the humble and the contrite and the remorseful. When the people of God confess their lack of dependency and cry out for more of them, God always hears their prayers. Amen. And then after you confess, don't stop there. Don't confess. If you look at verse number 20. You see the confession that into the next in the verse 20, the Bible says, and he arose. And he arose. Listen, if those words were not in scripture, if he did it, Sitting in the pit of pain, come to realization of his sin, confess his sin. But if he continues to sit in the pit of pain and not do anything about it, this scripture would not be instruction for us, but it would rather be a warning. A warning of what happens when God convicts you, and when you confess, and you don't make any action on that confession. Listen, repentance is a change of heart, it's a turning away from sin and turning. To the things of God. This young man changed his heart. Not only did he change his heart, he arose and he went back to the father's house. He forsake all that was in the courtyard. He forsake all pleasures that he had. He changed his mind about what the father had for him. He arose. You know, when I was in junior church, I don't know if you guys sang it here. Probably not. This is kind of weird. But we sang this song. And what is how it said? I hate sin. I hate that. I hate sin. It makes God mad. It is wrong. It is wicked. When I see it, I will kick it. I hate sin because I love God. Listen, I, mean, I, I love that for our children. I wish that we would grab all of that truth even for ourselves. Listen, there should be a deep hatred for sin because there's such a deep love for the Father. Listen, we need to abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. An authentic movement of revival is not just an emotional response to a message that you've heard. An authentic movement of revival is not just when you cry after the sermon, but then you leave there unchanged. An authentic movement of revival is when the Holy Spirit begins to do and work in your life that leads from sin to holiness and obedience. It's when the Holy Spirit leads you back to God. You know, as I look at this text, it's interesting because in the first two stories that we looked at, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus ends the story saying that, that when sinners repent. So he started with the story of the sheep, Starts this one before him, but he ends with both saying, When sinners repent, there's joy in heaven. Right? It's almost as if Jesus is preparing us for this text right here. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Listen, I've told you when sinners repent, that there's joy in heaven. So he's saying, Listen, while the sheep can't repent, while the coin can't repent, when the grace of God gets a hold of you and convicts you of the sin of your life, you better. Repent. Don't just confess your sin and continue in it. I pray that God would help you to see. 
see your sin the way he sees it, that he would even help you to hate your sin the way that he hates it, that, 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 that when the thought of the sin would come to your mind, that he would run as far away from it as possible. He would remove even the desire itself, that he would get to the root of your heart, that it wouldn't just be the, the actual sin of desire. What is this sin born out of? That's the seeking that we've got to do in our own lives. We've got to, we've got to ask God to seek us and, and know to show us what wicked ways are in us. God, what is at the root of my heart that causes me to want to lust? What is at the root of my heart that causes me to want to lie? What is at the root of my heart that causes me to want to be independent of you? And so whatever it is that's keeping you from a life that is holy, that's honors and glorifies God, get rid of it. Zach said, get rid of it. I heard a story about a man who was praying with a pastor. And when he was praying, he said a prayer that the pastor heard many times before. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Said the pastor didn't interrupt him. Said, Lord, kill the spider. Kill the spider. Listen, many times we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin, yet we leave that source of temptation in our life. I heard another story, my sophomore story this week, about an evangelist who during his meetings, he would designate a clear night. So I, some of you may be familiar with this. We would do this in youth groups every once in a while when I was growing up. But during this night, basically what he did was he would ask the people to bring in anything from their life, basically that was sinful, and throw it into a bonfire, right? So, you know, bring your alcohol bottles for sake of Bring your CDs and for sake of Maybe pictures you shouldn't have for sake of So it's a quitter tonight. So it's supposed to be a symbol of we're bringing all of our sin and our past and we're getting rid of it. And it said that during this quitter's night, as he asked the people to bring their evidence forward of their sins, one of the saints of the church, one of the person that when you looked at, you know, the grandma, that you know, seemed to do everything right, that loved God, came forward. And it says the preacher was surprised and said, you know, Miss Sarah, what are you repenting of? And she replied and said, I ain't done nothing, and I'm going to play. You know, I know there's some of us in here today that may not be guilty of prodigal living. We may not be living a reckless, wild, sinful lifestyle. But we may be guilty of the self-indulgence of doing absolutely nothing for the Lord. It's just as wasteful as the sin of the Son. Let's recognize that repentance does not come from guilt or shame. But repentance comes from the goodness of the Father. If the boy had only thought about himself, if he didn't sit in the pig pen and thought about his hunger, he thought about his homesickness, his loneliness, he would have despaired. He would have stayed in that pig pen. That's all he thought about. That's how terrible his life was. But his painful circumstance led him to see, in spite of his circumstances, the goodness of his father. He saw the father in a new way that brought him hope. 
and loves me. That's led to repentance. Some in here may be living duplicitous lives. You've got secrets in your life. And for some of you, it would be the goodness of God. It would be the kindness of God for you to get busted. The kindest thing God could allow for you to do is to fall straight on your back. So at that point, you have no option but to look up and see the love of the Father. Listen, it is God's kindness that we are convicted of sin. Because it is that kindness that ultimately draws us back to him. Listen, you're not going to run back to a, to a father that is abusive. You're not going to run back to a father that doesn't love you, that neglects you. No, it's the kindness and goodness of the father that draws you back. As you leave the path of ruin and you head down the path of restoration, you will experience personal revival. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Son was dead to alive, lost to found. Listen, the foreign country, the prodigal learned the meaning of misery. But when he came back home, he found the meaning of mercy. Amen. You know, the amazing part of this whole entire story is that all the feelings, all the pleasure that the son had gone after in the far place, the feelings of acceptance, the feelings of freedom, the feelings of joy, everything that he was looking for in the far place were fulfilled in the father right at home. Amen. Listen, there's no sin too great. For God to forgive. There may be somebody in here today that has never experienced the life-saving power of the gospel. What you need is not revival. What you need is resurrection. You can't revive something that was never alive to begin with. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know God as Father, <clears throat> because of your sin, the Bible says not only are you far from a Father, you're separated from a Father. You're destined for eternal torment, but there's good news for you too. The good news is that just as God loves and longs for his Father children to come home, God loves and longs to bring you into his family and embrace for you to come home as well. And then no doubt there may be some here who are struggling to see a loving father. That look at the circumstances of their life say, how in the world did God love me? You know, listen, church, if you ever want to ask that question, how much does God love me? How did God love me? If you want to know how much God loves you, when nobody's in here, come to the church, sit in this pew down here, and look at the cross. Listen, if you want to know how much God loves you, find a cross and start staring at it. So Jesus became death eligible so that we could be forgiveness suitable. He was crucified, he was buried, 
you can rose again to pay the debt of our sin, to pay the debt of my sin, to pay the debt of your sin, and to make a way for you to have access back to the Father's house so that we can be embraced, accepted, and loved by the God of the universe. So I'm going to say, God can wash black sin with red blood Amen. and make it white as snow. Turn to God. Simple. You know, this young man's story didn't end in the big day. And yours does not have to either. Run to the Father. Listen, revival is a simple concept. So often, we think of revivals. Revival's not something that you can conjure up. Revival's not something you can schedule. You have revival meetings. You can't schedule revival. You can't fabricate true Revival. Listen, this is what I love about this Asbury revival. If you watch it, it's the simple things that are going on there. And God is meeting them in their moment. There's no celebrity passion that's preaching. There's no fancy high production music. There's no light. There's no fog machine. All it is is people that are desperate and broken and wanting to move in a restoration of God in their lives. So revival comes when people, when God's people, repent of their sins. And turn back to him. This is my plea to you today. This is this is the, the goal of this message. Is to, to urge you, to exhort you, church, to keep the first things first. Don't excuse your sin. Listen, get right with God. See his face, see his will, see the desires that he has for your life. Return to the Father's house. But you have a loving, compassionate Father that wants what's best for you and is waiting for you with open arms and is waiting to celebrate your return. Rather than living a life full of shame and guilt, repent and turn back to Christ. As he died for you, live for him. You know, we need a spiritual awakening in this country. We need a spiritual awakening in our state, and in our communities. But church, I pray that our prayer today would be, God, begin with me. Yeah. We have God. 